It's a powerful exercise because one of the hardest things that I had to get comfortable with over the last three years was receiving without being able to give anything back. I had to uncon- I had to learn to unconditionally receive. Hello, my loves. This is Johanna Burkhart. I am a multidimensional channel, teacher, healer, and author. And I am obsessed with all things metaphysical, esoteric, galactic, and of course, the healing journey. And I'm here to share my stories, my wisdom, and my teachings about being human in the illusion that we call reality. Welcome to Cosmic Blonde. Hello, my loves, and welcome to the first podcast of 2024. This is going to be a wild ride this year. It is a transition year. Um, and, um, I did a whole episode if you want to go back on 2024 and we kind of talked about what you can expect from 2024 and moving forward. So if that calls to you, please go back and listen to that episode. But I thought it would be an awesome experience or an awesome opportunity to start off the first podcast of this year by talking about six messages from the guides that have the potential to change your life. And so I thought that these six were a little bit more unique than the ones that we hear all the time. And these messages aren't easy necessarily to implement into your human life. They are not messages um, that I have even embodied fully, not all of them anyway. They're ones that I practice and that I have to often remind myself of as well. Um, And so what we're going to do is go through them and just kind of talk about them, have a little bit of a dialogue as we go through. And I read them off because I kind of went through my iPhone notepad, which if you've been following me and heard me, I'm sure you've heard me say before, like that's the holy grail of channeled information because anytime I'm anywhere and a message just drops in, I'm constantly putting in there. I have like (laughs) 4,000 messages on my iPhone note on the notepad, you know? So if I ever die, that's the Holy Grail. <laughs> and then I pulled some from my journals too. So I, I, there's probably a ton more, but I didn't want to overwhelm. And I really felt that this would be a good opportunity for these messages to kind of be seated in whoever's listening as a frequency that can grow and expand their awareness. And you can kind of allow yourself the opportunity to contemplate and observe how this shows up in your life, how your beliefs align or disalign with this and and where you resonate in between, right? How you want to shift or change. So this is just an opportunity for contemplation, for activation, um, and more self-awareness. And I thought what a great time to do this, right? The very first podcast of the linear year, because we know this isn't the real new year. Uh, well, most of you should know, <laughs> but it is the the linear calendar year, new year. So either way, um, we have decided to do that today. So the very first one is true success is no longer being led by success or failure. So let me read that again. True success is no longer being led by success or failure. And while this is a statement that has the potential to change your life, it's really important for people to get it programmed into their mind that failure is the path to success. It just is. 
And the more times that we fail and can get back up, make some tweaks and adjustments and step forward again, the stronger and more resilient and more trusting of ourselves we get. The ancients, the collective uh, beings called the ancients, they deem failure as isolation. And that's interesting, in my opinion, because if you think about how many people isolate themselves when they think that they have failed or that they think that they have done something wrong or that maybe they are wrong, right? Shame and guilt. How many people, including me, this was my major response, and sometimes I still catch myself doing it, is when we feel like we have failed, aka we aren't good enough, aka we are the problem, which is shame, a lot of times we self-isolate. And that is a trauma response from when you had emotionally unavailable parents and you had to, when you were struggling, when you were hurting, when something was wrong in your life, you were left alone to deal with it. And so you'd kind of been trained that the only way to deal with it is to isolate. And isolation is, in the ancients' eyes, the true failure. Because this is the planet of feeling. It's the planet of connection, planet of emotion, right? All of those things are intertwined. When we're connected, we can have vulnerability. We can share our stories in safe spaces, which is actually what heals shame. So you see how deep and intertwined these messages can go and be. It's an opportunity for us, though, to redefine what success and failure means to us. So success for me has really shifted. There was a time in my life, um, many times in my life, where success was deemed by how much money I had, uh, where what position I was in a in a corporate environment, like my title, the success uh, financially or otherwise of any any of the businesses I I have owned over the years. Success was very much outside of me. It was very much a monetary thing or a status thing. Did I have the husband? Did I have the house? Did I have the car? Did I have all the toys? Uh, you know, when I was in my late 20s and early 30s, well, most of my life, I, I have owned ATVs and off-road vehicles, and I grew up going going to the desert and very much doing all the outdoor sports and activities, going to the river, being on the water, jet skis, boats, the whole nine yards, right? RVs. And those things became status symbols as I grew up and had to get them for myself. So those, you know, owning those types of things, doing those types of activities, being included, you know, it's kind of like that saying, you know, um, keeping up with the Joneses. Does anybody actually know who the Joneses are? Because I think we've just in created this. There's actually, now that I say that, <laughs> there's actually a story behind that. And I, 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 I encourage you to Google it because you probably find it about how that, that actually came about, uh, keeping up with the Joneses. I don't remember it enough to, to tell it here, but I, I'm kind of chuckling in my head because I do have a faint memory of, of reading something about that. But anyway, we tend to deem success through comparison and judgment of ourselves against other people. And again, it's all based upon outside things. And while, yes, we live in a physical plane where money is a real thing and money is important and owning a, you know, having a roof of our head and having a vehicle is important. 
all those things are important for our survival, you know, at some level, they don't make us successful. It doesn't. Money, when we talk about money, I'm just going to talk about money for a second. When somebody earns money or comes into money, money reveals who you are. You oftentimes you hear people say like money changes you. No, it doesn't. It reveals you, right? So when I came into a large sum of money, it revealed who I was. It revealed how much I felt. And this is, it breaks my heart to even say this out loud, but it revealed to me how I truly felt that in order to be accepted, liked, loved, wanted, that I had to give all of my money away. I had to buy people things. I had to make people things, you know, like create extravagant surprise birthday parties or putting money down on someone for a car. Or, you know, when I, my husband begged me for decks around our house. And so we, I put in all these beautiful decks around the house. I learned that I placed my worth on a transactional basis, which is interesting because that's actually, <laughs> thank you guides. This was a great segue into the second, <laughs> the second message from the guides. Um, but that's what I did is that money revealed that I truly felt that I was only valued or loved um, or wanted for what I brought to the table, like what I could tangibly give. And this was a theme. Like when I look back, even in my second husband, it wasn't the same, uh, but the same energy was there, right? And I see that in friendships in high school and junior high. I see it in friendships in my 20s. So I look back and I go, oh my gosh, like this has been a theme for a very long time in my life. And so I learned a really hard lesson because I I came into a large sum of money and I it did not last very long. And it didn't last very long because I couldn't retain I couldn't sustain it. Because remember I'm always telling you, right? The guides are this is one of the things that is most common is when it comes to manifesting, you have to be able you're not going to be able to sustain the thing that you you desire until you become that be the change. You have to embody the frequency of that in which your desire resides on. You're always manifesting who you are, not what you desire. And that's what it revealed to me. And it allowed me to go, whoa. And I didn't see this, you guys, until, um, I don't know, probably a good year after the money was gone. But then I was like, wow, I see now because the money truly revealed who I was. And I I spent a lot of money on personal development. I spent a lot of money investing into myself. But the thing even with that was, is that I thought I had to do all of these things in order to be somebody. And really the true work was I had to I had to come back to me. I had to redefine what success was to me. I had to reclaim my worth. I had to stand in my light. I had to do all of the things. I had to do the work to love and trust and believe and choose me, right? So that is what success is to, for me today. Success is my happiness and my peace regardless of what's happening around me. And I'm getting much better at that. Like 2023, my word for 2023 was joy. And I just, 
rediscovered that because honestly, I forgot what my word was for 2023. And um, thank God for memories from reels, right? Because that memory came up and I was like, oh my God, my word was joy. And while 23 was a challenging year on many levels, and I literally let go of the rest of any of my safety nets, and I said goodbye to a lot of people in my life, it was the year that I had the most joy probably in 10 years. And that's wild to say. <laughs> As I'm saying it, I'm like, that is wild. It is wild. But um, that's my, that's what like my my freedom and my joy, regardless of the circumstances I am in, is where I deem my success. And that comes from inside of me not long, not no longer outside of me. So the next one, which we're going to segue into, which is perfect is this one's a little bit longer. Worth is not transactional or conditional. It's inherent. So if you've ever wondered what it would feel like to feel worthy within you, they've given us a little exercise. Okay. So imagine doing, being, and receiving anything you have ever wanted without having to do anything to receive it. How does that feel in your body? Because what what you feel in your body is going to tell you if you believe you are worthy. Because if you get a pit in your stomach and you're like, oh my oh my gosh, I have to go do something. I have to give them something. I have to go out and buy them something. I have to do something in return. I need to be there for them. I like I owe them. This is where it's going to show you where your lack lives. It's a powerful exercise because one of the hardest things that I had to get comfortable with over the last three years was receiving without being able to give anything back. I had to uncon I had to learn to unconditionally receive, whether that was Christmas gifts or birthday gifts um, or random gifts of people wanting to help me along the way, because over the last three years, I've had to ask for help more so than I've ever had to do in my life. And that needed to happen. That needed to happen. That experience needed to happen because my entire life, I have only been able to count on myself and I was never comfortable or never felt safe to receive from someone else unconditionally because throughout my childhood and throughout my twenties and early thirties, right? Whenever I received, it was other transactional, meaning they were expecting something in return. Um, they hung it over my head. Like I, like I have a family member who has rarely done anything for me. Not that they are required to, right? But they maybe have done one thing and years later, I'm still hearing about it. Like they, they can't let it go. Right. So it's, it was never safe to receive because it came with, what are you, what do you want from me? Why are you giving this to me? What am I going to have to give you for this? Whether it's time, energy, money, what am I going to have to give you for this? So I had to have the experience of receiving unconditionally from people. And it is so uncomfortable it is so uncomfortable in the beginning, but the more you do it, where you just receive and accept, the easier it becomes. And the more you 
feel, oh, I am valuable without doing anything because you are, whether you have money or not, whether you have a home or not, whether you're in a relationship or not, whether you have a job or not, whether you have children or not, no matter what, you are worthy just in existing, just in existing. Another great example of this is I had somebody give me a gift at Christmas time when I had not purchased anything for them. They were not on the list of people that I was buying Christmas gifts for. So I received a Christmas gift without running out to buy them something or doing something for them in exchange. I just received it and said, thank you. I really appreciate it. I loved the gift. Because you have to remember that some people's love language is gift giving. And they don't necessarily need something back. Some people, they just love to give and love to do those types of things, right? So that's a good practice too. So the next time someone gives you a gift that you, and you don't have something to give them in return, just receive it and say thank you. When someone gives you a compliment, Instead of being like, oh, no, I'm not, or, you know, deflecting it, just receive it and say thank you. Honestly, that's the perfect place to start, right? Is when people compliment you or say nice things, just receive it. So that is the, that's always the message, accept and receive. You can't receive without accepting, right? So whether it is words of affirmation, whether it is a compliment, whether it is a gift, whether it is help that you desperately need, whatever it is, practice receiving by accepting it instead of projecting, deflecting, judging, whatever. Just receive it and say, thank you. Thank you is a complete sentence. Thank you. Be appreciative of it. There will come a time where you will pay it forward. And honestly, look back in your life. You've probably already done that for a million other people anyway. Remember, everything is cyclical. What you put out, you will get back. So when we are receiving unconditionally, we are receiving back what we have already put out into the world a lot of the time. So don't forget that. The next one is one that um, I'm still working with a lot. Overwhelm is you believing an expectation is not being met. So again, overwhelm is an expectation that you believe wasn't met. So what can you do in this moment? You can ask yourself, what is the expectation? What do I believe is supposed to be happening right now? What do I believe should have already happened by now? What am I expecting to happen right now? Oftentimes, it's not really a tangible thing. It's a space like, oh, I thought I should have been more financially secure by now. Oh, I thought I should have been married by now. Oh, I thought I should have had kids by now. Oh, I thought my children should have had grandkids by now. Oh, I thought I should be doing this in my business right now. It's like you are projecting yourself and saying, you haven't met a benchmark. Like, just think about that for a second. Because I get overwhelmed from time to time. And for me, it comes in as I'll get, the way that my energy works is very cyclical. So I'll go through phases to where 
I'm very inspired, very motivated. There's a lot of downloads that come in. There's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of forward momentum. And I feel this huge push to, to just do all these things. And then I'll go through cycles where there's nothing. It's kind of dormant and it's my rest period. And so I work in that form all the time. It's been that way most of my life. But the overwhelm for me would come in when I would get that surge and I would get all the ideas and I would get all the downloads or I'd have all the inspiration, you know, to take action. And then I would feel like I have to do it all right now. And I didn't. What I learned was I just need to write it down. I need to write it down and go, okay, which one feels most aligned for me to do right now? And then do that and then move to the next one. Um, Sometimes overwhelm can come in when we look back through reflection um, or we are kind of gauging where we are against our romanticism of where we thought we should have been or should be, right? We're keeping ourselves to a standard that's oftentimes ridiculous <laughs> for lack of a better term. It's just a ridiculous standard. And I, I'm that person. I hold, I have extremely high standards of myself, expectations of myself. Like I have, as a child, I was expected to do things that, that most young adults don't know how to do. And on my own, without anybody really telling me or showing me, I had to figure it out. And so it created this program in my body. It's not even a belief necessarily. It's just this program that's been that's been created to hold myself to a higher standard than is realistic. You know? So thinking like I should be here, like these ridiculous benchmarks, because I might have been five doing things that 15-year-olds didn't know how to do. And so I've created this ridiculous expectations standard for myself, this bar that I have to reach. And it's interesting to me how many other people are like that, right? And so it's really important when you feel overwhelmed. And I love this because when we get overwhelmed, we often don't know what to do. It can lead to anxiety. It can lead to panic attacks. It can it can activate our nervous system so much that we go um, into complete freeze and shut down. And when we don't do anything, right? Because we're like, oh my God, there's so much to do. I don't know which to do first. And so it's really awesome that we're doing this one because in that moment, if you can just remember that overwhelm is attached to expectations and you can ask yourself, okay, what is the expectation here? Should I be somewhere else? Should I, should I, do I think that I have to do all of these things right now? What is the expectation that I am placing upon myself? What is the expectation I'm placing upon myself? And how can I give myself a break and do one thing at a time so that I can exit overwhelm. Love that. Love that. Because what this is going to do is it's going to move you from disempowered to empowered. Because that's what happens. You're motivated. You're driven. You're whatever. And you're like, oh my God, I have all these things. And then your nervous system takes over because you allow the overwhelm to override all of that energy. And then it, it creates a traffic jam. And now you're... Your energy is literally wasting because everything's fighting to get through and to move and you're frozen. It traffic is 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 in a is in a snarl. Like there's a huge congestion, a huge block. 
and all your energy is trying to free that block. And next thing you know, you're fucking exhausted because you've allowed yourself to get stuck and freeze. So if you can catch the overwhelm in the beginning and you can go, oh, okay, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Okay, what's the expectation? Let me, let me just get a pen and paper. Let me write some shit down. Let me talk it out, whatever you need to do, but get clear on what you are expecting of yourself and then give yourself a fucking break and watch the energy shift and change before it gets to the space to where now you've just wasted all that, that beautiful divine energy. You only, oh, this is a good one. You only ever want validation for the things that you already think about yourself. Listen again. If you, you only ever want validation for the things that you already think about yourself. But if you already think something about yourself, why would you need someone outside of yourself to validate it? Like sit with that for a moment. You only ever want validation for things that you already think about yourself. So if you already think those things about yourself, why the hell do you need someone else outside of you to validate it? And another thing that the, the guides always say, like this is the reoccurring one, right? You're never asking for validation. You're asking for permission. You're not asking for validation. You're saying can I do this? Is this the right choice? Because you're afraid of a consequence, right? So the next time you are wanting validation, you need to ask yourself, what, what power does that person, place, or thing have over your power, your knowing? Because that person, place, or thing doesn't know you like you know you. So when you're trying to get validation of it, uh, of do you want me? Do you love me? Do you, um, am I valuable? You seeking that validation proves that you already think those things about yourself. But you, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you don't believe you. You don't believe you. You don't believe you. You need someone else. You're looking for someone else to say, yes, you are those things. But when you, you're looking for the mirror, the reflection, right? You're wanting someone to prove it to you. Because it's interesting because as children, oftentimes when we grow up with that wound of not enough or unworthy, it's because we've had these experiences that created evidence to the contrary. So we have all this evidence by the way that people treat us, by the experiences. This is the ego, by the way. The ego has all this evidence of the way that people have treated us, the experience or the circumstances we have lived through. And that has created a bank of evidence that we are not enough, that we are not worthy, that we are not these things that we are seeking validation for. So that what, when we start to request validation, you know, through people pleasing, through whatever the means that we're doing, when we're asking for validation, we're wanting the ego, thank you, the ego is wanting proof and to build that proof, 
that we are worthy, that we are lovable, that we are whatever, that we can have whatever, right? Prove it to me. The ego wants proof. The ego doesn't understand that we create from the ethers, that we can pull any energy and bring it into form. The ego doesn't understand that. It's a very limited mind. It has a very limited perception, a very limited perspective. That's what makes this game so interesting. So knowing that you only ever want validation for the things that you already think about yourself. So if you are asking to, those things to be validated, anytime you feel yourself needing validation, it's like asking the universe or asking God, am I worthy enough of a million dollars? Am I worthy enough of this relationship? Bring me this man if I'm worthy. Bring me this money if I'm worthy. Let customers buy from me if I'm worthy. Let me get this job if I am worthy. You already think you're worthy. You don't need those things to prove it. The proof is that we believe it. Our belief is the only thing that is needed. And the more you can reinforce that belief within yourself, the stronger the reflection will be outside of yourself. Because here's the thing, when you are fully anchored in that belief that you are worthy, when you are fully anchored in the belief that you are enough or that you can have whatever it is that you want or that you can create anything that you want, you no longer give two fucks if anything outside of you is reflecting that back or not. You're like, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to keep going because I know it. And then all of a sudden the faucet turns on and everything starts flowing. That's the key. You have to keep growing, even though the evidence outside of you isn't showing it to you. And this, this is the hard part, even for me today, total transparency, still a hard one for me. Because the thing that the guides always say is consistency is key. You have to, it's repetition. You spent most of your life having the beliefs and evidence piling up and reinforce that you are not these things. So when you go through an awakening, when you go through self-awareness expansion and you start evolving and you start doing the work of healing those limiting beliefs, however that looks to you, and you start to find your worth and you start to feel like, oh, I am enough. And then you start seeking validation for those things. The moment you catch yourself seeking validation, you have to remind yourself, oh, I already think this about myself. So if I already think this about myself, then I already must believe it. And I'm just seeking evidence to prove it's true. But how can somebody prove something that I know is within me? They don't know me. They're not, they're not me. And if everything's just a reflection of me, then all I have to do in this moment is reinforce that, that own belief, my own belief. I have to reinforce that knowing. Isn't that powerful? Not easy to do. I'm not even going to try and say that that is easy to do because it 100% is not easy to do. Okay. When, oh, this is a, this is, this is a good one. But this is one that people have a hard time with. And this one is a little bit controversial. And I want to, we're going to talk about it. So wherever you have an identity attached to a person, place, or thing that is not serving you, the universe will remove that person, place, or thing to strip you of the identity. If you are unwilling 
to let go on your own. So one more time, wherever you have an identity attached to a person, place, or thing that is not serving you, the universe will remove that person, place, or thing to strip you of that identity if you are unwilling to let it go on your own. I have a great example of this. For me, it's always relationships and money. This is where they strip me. When my father died, I lost all my safety. I had placed all of my safety within my father. And that happened at a very young age. My mom left around the age of three. And for a child, when your your mother just disappears and you rarely see her, and all you have left is your father, the fear of abandonment is astronomical. Like it is ridiculous. I I the whenever I feel my abandonment wound, I have so much compassion for the little girl within me because I can't imagine being three years old and and feeling like you're gonna be left alone. It, it feels like death. It's scary. And so I subconsciously anchored all of my safety into my dad. I didn't ever want to leave his side. He took me everywhere. I always wanted to sleep in his bed when I was young. Um, he was my everything and, until the day he died. Honestly, he was my everything. And so when he died, so actually, let me step back. Um, I don't even know if I wrote this in my book or not, but in 2008, this is when my awakening, this was the very, like, you have to look back on hindsight sometimes and go, when did my awakening really start? And it was about 2008. Um, in 2008, um, my father had a, a, a scare, a, a, a death scare, honestly. He was diagnosed with congenital heart failure and a bunch of other things. Um, he was an alcoholic. He ended up in rehab. Like there was all these things that went down that for the first time in my life, I was like, oh my God, my dad might die. And I felt my safety being rocked. But at the time I was married, I had a bunch of other external you know, I was, I, I owned a brick and mortar insurance brokerage. I had all of these other st points of stability. So I, I didn't feel it as much, but this is when my awakening started. 2015, when my dad died, changed everything for me because then I no longer had my dad. I knew no matter what I did, no matter how much I screwed up in my life, whatever. I knew I could always count on my dad. I knew I could always go live with my dad. I know my dad would always be there for me. And not that he always bailed me out of situations, but he was my person. Like he's the one that kept me grounded and anchored. And, and I, I knew that I, he was my safety net. He was my safest person. When he died, all of my safety had nowhere to go. I transferred it into money. Um, and the little bit of safety was my husband, but really he wasn't much safety at all. So anyway, when I was doing things that were driven by needing money to feel safe, and that's important how I said that when I did things or took action that was driven by needing money to feel safe, it would be taken away or not given to me. Because that 
lack thereof created the lesson that would evolve me the fastest. So even though it felt like a punishment, I felt like I was punished because money was being taken away from me or because I wasn't receiving it. What it was really saying was like, listen, this is not going to be comfortable and we're not punishing you. But if you can allow yourself to feel safe without those things, then you can have them abundantly. But by needing them to feel safe, you're creating a dependency. And we need you to depend on you. We need you to come back to you. We need you to feel safe inside of you. And I've also gone through the phase of where I feel like I need a man to be stable. I need someone else there as a safety net or to feel safe or to be stable. And so when I started dating again, I would say this phrase, you know, if if he's not the one for me, remove him from my life. If he's going to be one that it's going to take me down a path that I've already repeated multiple times, remove him from my life immediately. And I had some hurts over that one, um, but that, that happened a lot. I would go on a couple of dates. The dates would be amazing. And then all of a sudden, like a switch would flip. I would say that, and usually within two or three days, a switch would flip and they were gone or something would happen where I would leave. And I needed that. I needed to put that intention out there because I do not want to repeat any of the relationships that I've had in the past. I don't. I learned with my last marriage my pattern. I learned who I was choosing, why I was choosing them, why it was serving me, why it ended. And I said, oh, okay, I've learned. I'm not going to do that again. But sometimes, you know, they say love is blind for a reason. You know, those red flags can sometimes look a little pink. So (laughs) I would say then, hey, if he's not the one, if they're not the one, remove them from my life. And can't say those things unless you're prepared for it. But one of the messages that the guides would come through for me personally and say is like, you have this pattern of where I was motivated by being in a relationship. I was motivated by, oh, I will work harder and I will be better and I will be more motivated and more driven if I'm in a relationship, if I'm doing it for somebody else. But see, being self-led, choosing you means being motivated by you and not by anybody else. It's saying, I want these things for me because I know I'm capable of them because I know I am worthy of them because I know I deserving of them because it makes me feel good, whatever the case may be. But I had a pattern of saying, if if I have a husband or a boyfriend, then I want to show up and be that, all these things for them and not me. And so as you see what, there, I had an I had identities, right? I had identities. I'm not worthy unless I'm a wife or somebody's partner. I'm not worthy unless um, I have money. I have to I have to have these certain things. That's what these things create my identity. These things create who I am, and they don't. My children. Oh my gosh, my children was another one. When I left my husband in 2020, my kids didn't come with me. And that's never happened before. Like my daughter, she's an adult. So that didn't really 
count, but my son was still a teenager and he didn't want to move with me because I walked away and gave my husband everything, but he didn't want to come. And it wasn't because of me. He, he had his reasons for staying with dad and staying there. And so for the first time I had to live alone. And so I was like, oh my God, it's like, I felt like my kids were taken from me because my, I had an identity attached to being a mom. Right. So my identity was starting to be developed by if I have money, if I have a husband, if I have a boyfriend, if I have, if I have kids, if I have these, if I have people to take care of, et cetera. And so those things literally from 2020, actually from 2015 on were slowly being stripped. And it was the most, I can, I can promise you that 2015 to uh, until about last year were excruciatingly painful a lot of the time. And I think that's weird for me to say because so many people who listen to this podcast have been following me for a long time. And they'll be like, I've seen you have so much joy and so much happy and so much success. And it's like, yeah, but it, it hurt. A lot of it was painful. And painful comes from suffering because I was attached. Suffering comes from attachment. When you're attached and things have to be stripped from you, that's when we feel suffering. But if you're not attached and things get removed from you, you're like, well, okay. And I'm starting to have more of those experiences where things are removed from my life. And I'm like, well, all right, next, you know, because I'm learning to detach. That's my practice. That's my practice is detachment. It's like one of the greatest lessons of my life has been a lesson in detachment. And I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. I'm just getting really good at not holding on to things so so tightly as I did before. Like the 38 special song. So many conscious influencers use this. And I love it because I love music. Um, and I love that there's always metaphors and reminders everywhere. But it's hold on loosely. It doesn't mean you can't hold on to something. It doesn't mean that you can't treasure it and desire it. Uh, and hold on to it, but you have to do it with an open hand, right? How many people have seen me do this on video before? It's like, it can go and it can stay. But this holding on tightly, this is attachment. And so when something is ripped from you, universe rips from something from you that you're attached to, it's painful because you're like, no, I want I want this. Let me hold on to this. But if you hold on loosely, again, like the song 38 special, then it can come and it can go and there's no suffering. You might still grieve. You might still be sad, but it's not painful. So I was super attached for a long time to a lot of things. And so I experienced tremendous suffering. So the moral of this one is when things leave your life or are stripped from your life, or you feel like they're you know stripped from your life and you're looking at your circumstances how how you feel, the suffering you have is going to tell you your level of attachment. And so all you really have to do is practice letting go, accepting that that thing, that person, place, or thing was not serving you and that there's a lesson. And once you learn it, then you can have those things without the attachment to it. And you actually can have more when you're not attached because when you're attached to things, you build a wall around you. Attachment builds walls. 
because you're collecting, you're holding on. So you can actually receive more and have more by being unattached or detached. This one right here. I think this is the last one. It is. So this one's a big one, but I absolutely love it. And again, this one is one that is sometimes hard for a lot of us. There's a, there's a handful of people in the world that have nailed this. But for the most part, this is something that is a lifelong message of practice, okay? There are no limits to how a miracle can occur in your life. There are no limits to how problems can be solved, how money can be made, or how things can be created, except for you. So let go of your expectations and preconceived notions of how things should be or how they should come in. Just be open that it can happen and let the universe guide you to your next step, even if that next step makes no logical sense. So this is a big one, but it it the segues here on the on these that I picked and how they kind of web together is insane. I, I absolutely love it. Can you you just can't make this stuff up. But so I'm going to break this down into smaller sections and talk about it. There are no limits. There are no limits to how miracles can occur in your life. There are no limits to how problems can be solved. Let's just start right there. What does that make you feel? There are no limits to how a miracle can occur in your life. And there are no limits to how problems can be solved, how money can be made and how things can be created, except for you, except for you. What does that mean except for you? Except for you is the ego because the ego can only conceive what it's going to lose. It can't conceive what it's going to gain because it can't conceive the ethers. It can't conceive the quantum field. It can't conceive it because it's not a tangible thing. It's it's not physical. It's not in form. And the ego needs evidence in form. The ego deals in form where the soul deals in the quantum field. The ego creates from form. The soul creates from the quantum field. And we have to remind ourselves, this is, this is the key here. This is the secret. To remind yourself, you don't know everything. And that anything is possible because it is. Anything is possible. There are things that have happened in the world today, especially in the world today, where you would have never in a million years expected that to happen. But it did. You never know how a miracle can occur. You just never know. You never know how a problem can be solved. You never know when it's going to be solved. I had a problem yesterday and I was working through sitting with the emotions that were coming up, but I was also um, taking some action or looking to figure out if there was an action even to take. And I don't think there was. And so I let it go. And I remember I spent about an hour, it's about an hour where I was in the story and I was like, no, shut my laptop, went upstairs, sat on my bed and sat with it. And I was like, this can change in five minutes. It could change in five minutes. This is a test. This can change in five minutes. I got to get out of the story. I need to get back into my body and I need to trust and I need to be in faith 
right? This is something I teach. The things that we're here to teach are the things that we're here to master. We master what we're here to teach, I should say. And so I sat with it and then I came back downstairs and I said, nope, no more, no more in the story. This is just a test. It's going to be fine. And I said, I'm going to get back to work. And I started to get ready to get back to work. Guess what? The problem was solved in like five minutes. So that whole thing, like it started when I sat on my bed, I said, no, this could change in five minutes. It could change in five minutes. So I shifted my energy, decided I'm going to trust. I'm going to be in faith. I'm going to trust that this is going to work itself out. And what I'm going to be led to do, I will be led to do. And I let it go. And I said, okay, let's get back to work. Let's get back to focusing on what I can do and what I can create in this now moment. And even though I hadn't even begun to do it yet, I just sat down and was getting my laptop ready. I put my makeup on. I was going to record a podcast. Problem was solved. Literally, I sat down to do it. Five minutes, problem was solved. So this is, this is, this yesterday, that's so funny, that yesterday is a perfect example of how there are no limits to how that miracle could have occurred. And I never would have thought that the problem would have been solved the way that it was. I, I wouldn't have ever conceived that. It, it just happened. There are no limits um, to how a miracle can occur in your life, right? My son is a miracle. My son is a miracle. After I had my daughter, I had a couple of miscarriages um, and one abortion that was medically necessary. And um, I really struggled. I had endometriosis really bad, which uh, oftentimes happen when you have a baby, it clears the endometriosis from what I was told back then. I think it might've evolved since then, but we're talking 20 years ago. When, when there wasn't a lot known about endometriosis and I, and it caused me so much pain in my physical body to have endometriosis anyway. And I would get cysts on my fallopian tubes and I'd be hospitalized and it, it was just a mess. And I, um, after the last, so I had two miscarriages and then I had the medically induced, the medically necessary, uh, abortion. And I didn't, I didn't want to, I went on birth control. I was like, I'm done. I'm done trying because I always wanted one more child because I had my daughter at 17. I wanted one more child um, by the time I was 25. And that time had come. And I I don't remember um, if I was 25 or 26 when I got pregnant with Austin. But anyway, I got on birth control. And I remember we were living on an acre of property and it overlooked the little, I call it the baby airport. It's the little, little town, little city airports. And um, it was overlooking the airport and we had all this property and this stork showed up. I think they actually call them cranes, but I called it a stork because that's what it is, right? It looks like a stork. Um, it, it was the, the last two weeks of December and somewhere I have probably hundreds of pictures of this stork, but I had a dog. His name was Buster. He was a uh, Rottweiler, Great Dane mix, huge, big old teddy bear. Um, but he would chase this damn crane, this stork around our yard and it never left. And I'm like, why is this it's so cool that he's here, but he won't leave. And he didn't seem to be too bothered by the dog. He'd just fly to another spot and, you know, go back to whatever he's doing. Well, I don't know, January 2nd, 3rd, it was like right after the new year. I had gone, uh, set up an appointment previously to go to a brand new gynecologist 
Um, I had probably seen six or seven at this point because I wanted to get out of pain more than anything. And so I was going to, I was being consulted for a hysterectomy and in order to go through the, the pre, you know, the, the pre surgery check and all of those things, they had to do a pregnancy test. Well, they did a urine test and I told them, I said, you know, all the times that I have come up pregnant, they weren't from a urine test. They were from a blood test. And um, this one was faint, <laughs> but it popped positive. And I mean, it was very faint. So it was, he was, it was very, you know, I, I was probably a month, maybe. Uh, and immediately I felt a pit in my stomach and I was like, when's the abortion? Like, I don't want to go through this again. And he was like, no, we will get you through this pregnancy. You're going to have this baby. And I don't know, there was something about the confidence. And this, this is a little short Chinese man. And uh, he was so positive and he um, was like, no, like you're going to have this child. And I did. I did. They called him the camper. I went out on bed rest around five, six months. Um, I gained a hundred pounds in that pregnancy. Like I have, I always had really hard pregnancies. I feel like my body didn't feel safe and I would just blow up. And um, so I spent about four months on bed rest. Um, I had, he wasn't um, doing real well towards the end. And so we had three, I can't even remember now. It's been so long because he's 17 now, three or four um, times where they tried to induce my labor with, uh, what do they call it? Pitocin, I think is what they call it. God, it's been so long. And he wouldn't come out. And so they finally had to pop my water bag and force him out. He ended up having a really, really bad case of jaundice. It's a whole other story around that. But anyway, he was a miracle. Like they told me, so many doctors told me, you will never be able to carry a baby full term again. Like you will never be able to carry a baby to term. Like you just have too many issues, you know, or it's unlikely. And so I'm always like, I always tell people when I hear or talk to people who have fertility issues, if it's meant to be, it's going to be, it's going to be have faith. Like there was no way that I should have been able to get pregnant. Not only that I was on birth control, I was totally detached from it now, but that was the key too. I was detached. I was like, I'm done. It's not going to happen for me. I'm going to let this dream go. You let it go. It comes back. Right. And boom, there it was. So again, he was a miracle. It's funny. He knows that. Uh, and it creates a little bit of controversy and attention between my kids <laughs> because I'm always reminding him that he's a miracle every year on his birthday <laughs> because it is, it's a celebration for me too. And then how money can be made, right? How things can be created. Like think about the person who created the pool noodle, you know, or the little, the little things on the end of a shoelace, um, or the first microphone, you know, or just like the, the most randomest things you think about somebody created that it was just a joke or just an idea or something. And now they're a millionaire or a billionaire. You just don't know. People are making money today online doing the most ridiculous things. <laughs> Literally, if you watch TikTok, people make money doing some really wild, crazy things. And so again, there's no limits. We're the ones who put the limits by saying, that's not going to work for me. 
that's not possible for me. I don't know how to do that. I can't do that. And instead of just playing with the energy and trying it and putting it out there, because it comes right back to the first one, which is true success is no longer deemed, isn't no longer being led by success and failure, right? So we often smash our own inspiration, smash our own ideas, not give ourselves a fighting chance because we don't feel or understand or know how that that thing is going to be successful. And so we are saying, I can't create that unless the outcome is favorable. And that is where we have to make the shift. It's not about the outcome. It's about the process of creation. Again, I learned this the hard way with my book because Holy Grail did not do well. Um, it's It still has not sold um, thousands of copies, right? So I think it's only sold hundreds of copies. And that's great. And it's reached people and it's helped people. That book was so healing for me to write. And that alone was worth writing the book. But I didn't see that book as a success in the beginning because it didn't do well financially. It didn't hit the New York Times bestseller list in a week. You know, because sometimes I can be like that. Like, oh, I'm done. Where's my award? Why isn't it number one on the bestseller list? I, I think I've had some really affluent past lives <laughs> where, where I just expect it should come this easy and natural. So when it didn't, I found where my identity was attached. Like I love how these are all together. They're all they're all interweaving now. But I found where I had an, an identity attached. We're like, oh, there's an identity attached to this book. Let me strip that of you, right? Let me take that away and get back to the process of creation. You you wanted to write that book. Why? Because it did something for me. The process of creating it healed me. It just did. I can tell those stories now without crying, without tremendous pain um, and putting that out there in the world while those the perpetrators of my life are a lot of them are still alive was the bravest thing I've ever done and it allowed me to face the fear of failure it allowed me to face the fear of death it allowed me to face so many fears of persecution of judgment that book creating that book writing that book was so fucking healing for me and the next one that I've started already is going to be the same process, except this time I'm going into it like, I'm writing this for me. If it does well, great. But at the end of the day, I'm doing this for me. It's the process of creation, right? So we have to remember that. We have to let go of the expectations, the preconceived notions, the outcomes, how it should come in, how it should be. That's all ego-based thinking. The ego is very limited. It's very linear. It doesn't have the access of everything in the quantum field that we can pull from. It says that we have to have A, B, C, and D in order to get to E. And that's just not the case. Nothing that's linear, right? Like our calendar year is linear. Time is linear. Everything is linear. That is a physical construct of this reality. It is based in the ego. It's not true. And so when we can simply say to ourselves, I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know where, but I know it's possible. It's possible because look at what we once probably deemed as impossible is now happening, right? So all you have to go is go, I don't know how, I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know where, but it's possible. I just have to know that it's possible. I just have to know that it's possible. 
And in doing that, you can say like, I wonder, this is where curiosity, and this is one of my favorite tools to give in private mentorship is to figure out the curiosity questions that that person needs and being like, I wonder what it will look like to have X, Y, and Z. I wonder how it's going to show up. I wonder, and one of the things I like to write in my journal, I wonder where and from whom I'm going to receive money from today. I wonder where and from whom an opportunity or an offer will be presented to me today. I try to write those questions in my journal on a daily basis because by doing that, by placing the question of curiosity, my ego will then go and start to seek it. And as it's seeking it, right, the quantum field can begin to create it because it's like, it's looking, it's looking for those things. And that's, we just have to be open and receptive because that's what it is. Just be open that it can happen and let the universe guide you to the next step. And so then when you're open and you're looking, now it's going to be, you're more aware of, oh, oh, here's a little step right here that I probably wouldn't have known as a step if I wasn't actively going, what's the next step? I don't need to have it right now. I don't need to know all the details. I just need to know that it's possible and to be open to that next step arriving, even if it doesn't make logical sense. And I've had many podcasts where I've talked about all the things that I've done that are completely illogical because they were just from a space of intuition and guidance. So those are six of the most, in my opinion, at this moment in time, some of the most transformational messages that I could bring through and that I'd love to leave an, as an activation for you for you to kind of let those things seed and for you to kind of contemplate and reflect upon how those things have already shown up in your life and go back and listen to this a few times, because I feel like there's so many little nuggets and seeds in here that will really flourish into something amazing. If we can start to put these little things into practice. And I hope that 2024 is an amazing year for everybody who is listening and that you can make it your mission this year to believe, have faith and trust you regardless of what is happening outside of you. I love you guys and I will see you in the next episode. Hey, thanks for listening. This episode was brought to you by johannaburkhart.com where it's time to defy the limits of your mind and step into your multidimensional mastery. Don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next time.